Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's a lot of end friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. Every little thing's gonna be A-OK. A-OK. Little known fact about my guest today, during the pandemic, she and her wife and kids got into an RV, which they had never done before, and drove cross-country. And that journey turned into a book called Drive by star of Come From Away on Broadway, Sharon Wheatley, who is my guest today on the podcast. Welcome, Sharon Wheatley. A-OK. everyone. My guest today is Sharon Wheatley. Sharon is one of the stars of the Broadway show Come From Away, which can also be seen on Apple TV. And her previous Broadway shows include Avenue Q, Cats, Les Mis, and Phantom of the Opera. But also Sharon is an extraordinary writer. And her most recent book, Drive, is available everywhere you go and get your books. She also wrote a previous memoir called Till the Fat Girl Sings. And I am so thrilled to welcome Sharon to the podcast today. And my puppy is so thrilled that you are here, that she is barking to come in. So we're going to let her in because I know you're an animal lover. I am. <laughs> Lola, come in and join the podcast. Come on, Lola. Oh, she's just... Now she's shy. She's no, like, no, maybe no, I will, no. Maybe she's I camera shy. She's in the room. Come here, sweetie. Up on the couch. Go ahead. Okay. Now I can focus just on you and Ernest. I have my baby Lola here. Um, but I it know. feels right to start with an animal. It just feels exactly right. Yeah. I know. I went to your website in one of your bios. It, it said something like you and your wife are such animal lovers that they basically get the couch and you're sitting on yeah. the floor. That's it's my understanding. Yeah. What it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the idea that during this pandemic, um, you wrote another book, uh, and that it's out in the world, not just that you wrote it, but that it's published and people can have it in their hands is such an incredible thing. But I want to go back for a minute because Come From Away was a show that, uh, entered your life so long ago. And then there was this huge pause and now you're back in it. So before we get to the book, everyone go buy the book drive, like we're going to get to it, but also (laughs) just in case we run out of time, go to your local bookshop if you can, or order it online if you can't, but just, she's an incredible writer. That's all I need to say. And she can tell us more about it, but (laughs) come from away. One of my favorite shows on the planet. Um, 
I want to know how you, Sharon Wheatley, ended up being a part of this incredible cast. Well, I'll tell you, it is, um, it's, an, it's, it's an interesting story. I think, I mean, I'll, I'll give you the, the real version, not the like glamorized version, which is this. Here's the truth, is that probably if I had not quit the business and moved to San Diego, I would not be in the original company of Come From Away, and here's why. Because when I was here, I always joked around and said, you know, I'm like D-list. I'm, you know, I'm like the person that they call to come in to replace the third replacement or whatever. I mean, just being honest, I had done, I started a lot of my career with, you know, what people used to call park and bark shows, like those British imports. And I was a swing in Les Mis was my first job out of the gate. And I was 25. I didn't even know what a swing was. And then I found out what it was and it was too late to quit. And then it was so hard. It was so incredibly hard. And I remember arriving and thinking they really should have given me an IQ test. Like, I don't know that I can actually fulfill what is needed in this job. So shout out to swings everywhere, not really including myself, even though I was one for a long time. And, and then I did the same thing. It's true. And then I did the same thing for Phantom. So I did like all the companies of Lamis and then all the companies of Phantom. And then in a random act of um, luck and tenacity, I managed to book Cats on Broadway. And again, it was a little of like, one of these things doesn't fit with the other meaning. Like I wasn't a dancer, but I could fake it with a lot of humor. And that happened to be exactly what they were looking for. And so I got to do that. So then I had this sort of career crisis where I was I had done these three big Cameron Macintosh shows and I got dismissed a lot. It was like, oh, she's only, she's only a singer, even though I'd been in Cats or, you know, she doesn't really act. And I just thought I, it's, it takes a, a lot of acting skill to pretend like you're a dancer. I just thought <laughs> there's, there's loopholes here. And, and then with Avenue Q, I really doubled down because I thought this is a show that I can do. And I taught myself how to puppeteer. So I was lucky to get to do that. But then still, it just, I just wasn't going in for the kinds of roles that I wanted to be going in for. And I knew it was a tough fit for me. I'm like overweight, but attractive. So I wasn't, and not really like a bit actor, if that makes any sense. I'm not I don't do that like punchline joke really well. I'm too earnest and honest and um, soft-hearted to really land a good joke like that. So everything was a problem. And so honestly, I quit the business and pursued writing. And I was in San Diego and and um, Rachel Hoffman, shout out to Bernie Telsey Casting, sent me a Facebook message and said, what are you doing in San Diego? And at the time, I really didn't know exactly what I was doing in San Diego besides hiking Torrey Pines and enjoying the glorious weather. And, and I kind of wrote that back to her. I said, I haven't auditioned for anything in three years. And she said, we're looking for a local hire for the La Jolla Playhouse for this new show that's coming in called Come From Away. And I think you might be right for it. Do you wanna read the script? And me being me, which is, you know, self-deprecating most of the time, I wrote back and said, 
yeah, sure. I mean, I have not really sung anything in three years. I don't even know what I would be like in an audition at this point. And she was like, I'm not worried about it. So she sent it to me and I was immediately hooked and I was hired to do only the La Jolla Playhouse section of Come From Away, even though many of the rest of the company was moving on to do Seattle. It was like a co-production of La Jolla and Seattle. This is like, I don't always talk about this part of it, but I was devastated when I found out that I wasn't going to be moving on to Seattle. And then luck just sort of fell my way. They couldn't they couldn't find somebody for the Seattle company who lived in Seattle. So they asked me to stay on to go to Seattle. And um, I was thrilled because at that point I, I had a sense, we were still in rehearsals for La Jolla, but you could just feel it in the air. It was like electric. And I thought this show is too special. And I was scared of creating a whole role, a whole character that then would be handed off to somebody else. And cut to seven years later, I'm still here. So that's the long essay answer of how I am in Comfort Way. <laughs> when you, so in sort of refreshing my memory about sort of the origin story of the piece itself, yeah. um, the creators are Canadian. Right. Um, this production first began sort of by being put up on college students yeah. somewhere. Uh, Sheridan, the... It's Sheridan College in, in Canada. Yeah. Okay. And so are, are the creators of the show a married couple? Yes. Okay. David and Irene. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So they're a couple. They're not just besties, like the, yeah. the six uh, creators. They're actually a married couple. Yeah. Um, they made this show and they sort of started building it on Sheridan College students. Yeah. Um, and it had a little bit of a, a life in Canada before it came to Chris Ashley at the La Jolla Playhouse, or was Chris always with it from like early, early workshop periods of the show? Well, I think what it was, was they were given a government grant by the Canadian government okay. to create this show for Sheridan College. So they wrote the show thinking it was going to be for college students. And it kind of grew from there. Now, Chris Ashley was not involved in the Sheridan College production, but I, I think then it went maybe to like NAMPT. Okay. And Goodspeed, there was like a NAMPT and a Goodspeed section that happened there. So the only thing that happened in Canada was Sheridan College. Then it came here, did a good speed thing, did a NAMPT thing. That's when they picked up the Junkyard Dog producers okay. who are the nicest, greatest, I can't say enough about them, producers on Broadway. And at that point, Chris Ashley, Kelly Devine, Ian Eisendrath were then brought in. They did a workshop in Seattle. Okay. Um, and Rodney Hicks and Kendra Kassenbaum were in that workshop. And then the first production of it, professional production of it was at the La Jolla Playhouse that ran in June and July of 2015. So it was like La Jolla, Seattle, Washington, DC, yep. maybe someplace else, and then Broadway. Newfoundland. We did a concert in Newfoundland, oh a two-day concert. That and footage is just breathtaking. Isn't it something? Yes. It was really, it was, um, it was the, it was our, all of us, it was our favorite thing we did was go to Gander. It was incredible. Anyway, I could talk about that for two hours, but okay. we did, we ran in Toronto also for a few months, a, a good chunk of time. So for the five people 
on the globe who don't know uh, the thumbnail sketch description of Come From Away. Um, you know, I've sort of buried the lead, as we say, and we jumped right into the thing. It is a story about... It is a story about how on 9-11, the American airspace was closed after the, after the attack uh, at the World Trade Center at the Pentagon. And we all remember that time when the flights all stopped. But the problem is there were many, many, many flights in the air. If you were in America, they could just ground them at the nearest airport. The international flights had to be grounded outside of, of the American airspace. For 38 jumbo jets, that meant landing in a tiny town called Gander, Newfoundland, where they have an enormous airport where people used to land and refuel. It's the northeast tip of North America. They would land there, refuel, and then go on to Europe. So they have this enormous airport that they've been talking about closing for years and years and years that suddenly hosted 38 jumbo jets. So what the story is, is how this town of about 8,000 people hosted 7,000 people for five days. And two of the people who are on a plane when this happens, flying from where to where? Diane and Nick, your character and, and her beloved, as it turns right. out, started where and were going where? Well, in the show, we're... It's because sometimes they're composites, things are positive, right? Like there's right? lots of people. Yeah. 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 But in reality, they're, they just had to kind of put us all on one plane sure. so we could all sing one song. Yes. But um, in reality, uh, Nick and Diane were flying from London to Houston. And so that was, and, and Nick was a, um, a, an oil executive based in London and had business in Houston. And Diane was, um, she was a buyer, I think, Alana, like for Neiman Marcus, something, one of the big department stores, she was a buyer. And she had been over visiting her son in England who was in the service, I think. And so she was flying back and they met and fell in love and, made out on the plane the whole way back to Texas and they're married and he moved to Texas. I mean, they're real people. It's so yeah. crazy. It's, it's so, so crazy. kismet in, in the middle of this chaos is so yeah. incredible. And anyone who is aware of this sort of legacy and aura around your show knows that you, so many of you have not just, even though there are composites, they're sort of touchstones of real people that you've been able to meet and befriend and are part of the Come From Away family. I remember when Jen Colella was on the show pre-pandemic when she came on the podcast, just talking about all of the people who come to the stage door and, and what it is to kind of both absorb and, mm -hmm. and find a way to do the show, celebrate the people you are celebrating by doing the show, honor the memory of those we've lost and what it is to sort of have thousands and thousands and thousands of people wanna share every day their own mm -hmm. experiences with you and to balance that, like to balance how to, how to protect yourself and right. be there and, and just have your own energy saved to do the show for them, that it's, it's a lot. And you have been doing it, I think, from the beginning, other than right. vacations, you have not left the show. Mm -mm. And then there was a really crazy long right. pause unexpectedly. Yeah. When the pandemic hit, 
And, and I know we were all in shows and on March 12th, Cuomo made the announcement that Broadway was closing and none of us really understood. Of course right. we didn't, no one did, what yeah. was ahead, what, what we're still living with even to this day. Um, how in touch with you, you talk about, is it Junkyard Dog Productions? Yeah, Junkyard Dogs Productions, yeah. Um, and all of the people in the company, how often were they in touch with you as, as none of us knew what the future held? But obviously your show is a huge hit. Um, right. So there's hope that it would come back if things came back. What are they saying to you? Because this is sort of the catalyst for a very long road trip that you take to get yeah. your kid from, you know, New York to LA, I think was the- adventure. San Diego. San Diego, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tell me what you knew and what did they tell you? You know, it's interesting because I think I was sort of surprised, and this is through no fault of anyone's, but I was surprised that 100% of the time I got the biggest news from the news. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I found out Broadway was being shut down the exact same way everybody else did. I saw it yeah. on TV and I would hear that Broadway was extending the, you know, the pause, the shutdown from the news. And it's not that we weren't in contact with Sue and Randy and Kenny and Marlene, who were the four junkyard dog people. We were, we had weekly Zooms on Sunday afternoons. Joel Hatch hosted um, a cocktail hour every Sunday. And the, the, the dogs, we call them the dogs, the dogs would come on and we would talk, they would talk about what they knew. And, but mostly we were just talking about what we, what food we had made. I mean, really just like everybody else, right? right? Or, How's everybody doing? Yeah. It was more that, and just, they wanted us to keep the faith. The big thing that they kept saying that really helped was the show is in financial good shape. We will come back. We are not going to be one of these shows that has to close. And mm -hmm. our hearts were with everybody whose show closed. What an awful, horrible way to, to close a show. Closing shows already terrible, but to close it in the middle of a pandemic and never have a last show is so heartbreaking. And they really, they kept saying, unless Broadway in its entirety never comes back, we will be there. And they said, we will not come back until Kenny said this, we will not come back until we are allowed to come back with hugs and tears and love. And we're all ready to be in the same room again. And I think what they meant by that was we weren't going to come back wearing masks on stage or doing something behind a plastic partition. So we kind of knew that their business model was they were going to wait it out. And, and so knowing that I knew any time, you know, I knew it was going to be a while, um, I didn't want to know that in my head, but in my heart, I thought this is, this is going to be, this is going to be a long time. You know, you talk about your character of Diane and, and it all connects to your book in a way drive because Diane in the story of this play is at a crossroads in her life yeah. and her takeaway is sort of new beginnings. I mean, I mm -hmm. think, I think globally that was sort of uh, you know, we're sort of in that moment right now, again, yeah, sort of, right. you can't deny what's happened, but how do you get up each day and go forward right. in the face of what's happened? And what's really amazing, and I don't know if people know this, is sort of the alignment of Sharon and Diane, because you, 
in recent history, I don't know the right. day you got married, ended up ending a marriage um, right. with which you have, you know, a beautiful family that you made out of that right. marriage That's and right. marrying a woman right. who is the stage manager of the original production of Come From Away in San Diego, the show that you were like, I don't even know how to audition anymore. Yeah. By the way, yeah. you were also auditioning for your entire relationship future, <laughs> as it turns out. Right. <laughs> um, were you married to a man or a woman uh, the first time around? I was married to a man. Okay. Yeah. So there are so many huge yeses that yeah. you um, allowed to come out of your mouth um, <laughs> experientially, um, literally, and, uh, and I am sure there were many conversations that you had to have with so many people in your life oh my um, God. I about mean. this new, <laughs> and his name is Martha, right? Like, right. Yeah. Like I mean, the assumption. yeah, I mean that, or that people would say, this was my favorite Yeah. because I was sort of telling people that I was getting divorced and telling people that I was with a woman at the same time. Right. And for many people, the more traumatic piece of it was the fact that I was getting divorced because Mm -hmm. I had one of those marriages that people really looked up to and, and, and me too, you know, I mean, it was, it was all of, it was hard. It was all very difficult to process. And, and, you know, you try to move through those things as much as you can with as much love as you can, but there's no way to not leave, um, you know, uh, 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 injuries in the wake. And, um, and so all of every bit of it was hard and every bit of it, I have regrets and sorrow and I'm also proud of, and I'm, you know, I mean, there's a million, million, million things. So, but to also take your entire community of people, right. Your family, your friends, your everybody. And just kind of like, I felt like I just like put them all on my back and said, you guys, I know this is hard, but you have to just trust me on this one. We're going to find our way out of it and it's going to be okay. And to really like come out to people at the same time that people are processing that this big giant happy marriage is also coming to an end. And how do you deal with that and not vilify anybody? Um, All of it, it was all very complicated. And all I knew was at the other end was Martha. And for reasons that I couldn't even understand, I knew it was right. That's it. And Martha even said to me, how do you have such a solid understanding of what this relationship is going to be? Because it was built on teeny tiny little bones. I mean, we, we were not like a big relationship that was happening during come from away in La Jolla, anything like that. I mean, we didn't like each other. She she would joke around like, oh, go tell the local hire to put on her show shoes. And she would come to me, you know, and then her, her ASM would come to me and I'd be like, listen, the choreographer told me I'm not wearing those shoes in the show because I have to climb on chairs. They're getting me different shoes. So I'm not going to wear these right now because they're not actually safe. And, and I was like, she's a big, scary lesbian stage manager. I mean, we really... <laughs> We just, we laugh about it. No, I don't know how we got here except love. That's it. And, and I had very sick parents and she had very sick parents and we kind of bonded on that mm. together. And, and I just sometimes would look at her. I was like, I, you're a woman. I don't even know what to say to you. And, uh, but it just, 
I don't know. She's just, she's an incredible human being and um, very happily single. I really ruined her life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I've read that. She that's, that's been quoted. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently it turns out you find really scary lesbian stage managers sexy. I who guess knew? I do. Yeah, that's your I, thing. not me. Well, that's the thing. When I was telling people, there were people who would say to me, oh, I always knew it. I always knew you were gay. And I, I would just laugh and I'd be like, that's hilarious because I sure didn't know it. And that's interesting. Yeah. And even Martha was like, you're straight. And I was like, I am. But yeah. I, you know, my kids joke around and they say that I'm gay for Martha. And I don't really have to worry about it beyond that. I have no shame about, I mean, I don't, I don't move through the world in a homophobic way it, uh, about myself or my relationship or, you know, I'm proudly out there. And, and if I can normalize this, that would be really, um, you know, I don't know. I sort of live my whole life with like, what is my goal in this? And I would say, if I have a goal in it, it's just to take the stigma away. The book drive uh, is about you and Martha deciding that you are going to drive cross country in an RV. Um, <laughs> that's really the Even premise when you say of the book. it, I'm like, oh my God, is that really, we really did that. Yes, that is, we that's did. what happened. 91 and people days. We'll think of like an Albert Brooks film. Like there are yep. different versions of this that we will see when the book is adapted for a film because it <laughs> must, I mean, it's so. Uh, prime to be a visual story for people. It's not like either of us went into this with any sort of knowledge or gravitas that we were going to be able to do what we did. Yeah, it was. Um, it really was uh, the early days of the pandemic. People didn't want to fly, and nobody nobody wanted to even get a hotel room. Which I think at this point in the pandemic, people look back on that a little bit and have sort of rose colored glasses. Like, Oh, please. It was safe. You could stay in a hotel room, but people weren't, they would rent, you know, a hotel room for two nights and let it air out overnight exactly. before they exactly. went in. And it still meant driving across country. Cause we had a car, we could have just driven it, but it still meant going into public restrooms, going into restaurants, going into right. hotels. It still didn't feel safe. By the way, it was a great idea. And Thank you know you. what? You survived it. We like did. it could have, I mean, you're still married. I feel like forget what you went through <laughs> in your first, like, I mean, traveling is stressful under the best five-star circumstances. Not knowing yeah. where you are can yeah. be stressful. You talk about in the book, like it's really dark out when it's you get really to these dark. places at night, right? Like, yeah. How are you going to hook up to this thing yeah. with like your little, you know, iPhone flashlight, like yeah. really emptying waste, like all the things right. that you guys had to do that we think of, like when we're shooting something and someone shows up and your camper is really clean when you show up to set and then <laughs> you make a mess and the next day it's clean again. Like, yeah, yeah. that it's was you. Definitely not like that. <laughs> And, you know, your set moves, so you can't leave anything out yeah. on the counter or the second you pull out, everything goes flying and crashing and it's like dangerous and loud. Yeah. So <laughs> would you do it again? Yeah, I would, which is really, and the reason I know that is because we have, we collected all the stuff in a very come from away fashion. I put a thing out on social media and I said, and we were in an Airbnb in Cincinnati. And I said, hey, we're renting an RV, ha, ha, ha. And um, we, it came completely empty. Like there was absolutely not one thing in mm. it, except for, you know, there was a, 
a mattress and the toilet and the whatever, right, right, nothing else. And we weren't home to stock it ourselves. We weren't in an right. Airbnb. It wasn't like we could take their coffee pot. Yeah, yeah. And we didn't have jobs. And it was already ridiculous that we were getting an RV, although I'd gotten a good deal. But I kept joking and saying, you know, I have a 0% credit card and a dream. And that's what we did. God damn like, it. There you go. Doing it. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, there we go. And yeah. I mean, me on the phone with Sue Frost, I was really like, do you really think the show is going to come back? Are you sure? I have a 0% yeah. credit card. Yeah. And um, so people started, I put a thing on social media and I said, you know, if anybody has literally blankets and bedding, uh, you know, things for the kitchen that maybe you're not using, non-breakables better, you know, if you have an outdoor grill and people started just leaving stuff on our front porch because nobody could come in and they would just label it. And it was like people I'd gone to high school with, but also just people who I didn't know who they had reposted it there on, then on their social media. And so we were set up. We were set yeah. up. I really felt like I was in couple ways. I was like, Wow. I want to ask about like your writing process um, yeah. because, you know, you, you actually are one of the few people I know who enjoy writing. Love like it. most of my friends who write yeah. love, like finally when they're, when it's done, but they find the actual process of writing the thing, like, please let me do anything, but write today. They yeah. have to be, you know, chained to their desk. Were you sort of journaling or like throughout the whole trip? Um, do you talk into your phone? Do you voice memo sort of what, what is your process? I think I journaled the first four days and then it was too busy. It's so much work. Um, I have a good memory and that sounds crazy, but I just, I have a really good memory. And the one thing that I did do was I, not that I used any of it, but I would collect I have a lot of paperwork from the trip. Like I have every map of right. every RV park that we went to. I am an avid picture taker. And I would also, there would be moments that I would think if I actually write this book, like I had, I had a good idea that this could be a book, which also. Before you even went on the journey, was that part of why you wanted to do it? Yeah. Okay. You're yeah, like, let's I, do this and I'll write about it. I called my agent because she and I had never really been able to find like the exact project that we wanted to work on. And I said, I have to get Toby to San Diego. Um, would it, I might rent an RV and I really don't want to, cause I like bougie, like four sure. seasons. You want to be comfortable. And, yeah. And I said, and Martha's really into it and she's already bought four headlamps. Is this funny? <laughs> and she was like, this is funny. And she said, why don't you write a treatment? So Truthfully, I wrote a whole, you know, true treatment of the book. I outlined it with chapters and what it would be and whatever. And she went about the process of trying to sell it. And here it is, you know, it's like April 15th of 2020. And every publishing company said nobody wanted to hear about the pandemic. Right. And and there were all of these printing presses that had been halted. So people's books that were there were books already in the pipeline that weren't getting published. So no one was interested in talking to anybody, especially like some weirdo Broadway actress who had published a memoir, you know, 15 years earlier uh, about doing this. And so I didn't have a publisher when we left on the trip. So it felt a little bit like a pipe dream, but also I know me, I'm tenacious and I like to, 
I like to close the loop. And I just thought, I know I'm going to do something with this. I don't know what it's going to be. So I would take videos and I do like vlog videos and just send it to my best friend. So I have a, I have a lot of footage, but I also just have a good memory for that. Which stuff. is incredible. And, and what, what do you hope? I mean, it's funny and it's moving. I mean, you're dealing with real life loss in the book. You know, you, you touched earlier how you and Martha both had parents who were ill and that was mm -hmm. sort of a bonding, you know, where, and, and it wasn't just because your parents were older. It was because your mom was sick. I mean, it was yeah. a lot yeah. of really hard things to deal yeah. with while, while you always have this incredible way of making us laugh at the same time, which is just such an incredible skill. Um, what, what do you hope, what was your like fantasy? Someone will read Drive and what? Like if you could finish that sentence. I think that it's good to remember that you can change the narrative or at least that you can control it. And I, I could not bear the idea that there was going to be a pandemic and the show was going to shut down and that the narrative of that time was, and she waited. I just thought I, I have waited for so much in my life, you know, as an actor, you wait all the time. As a writer, you're waiting all the time. And I finally had landed this job that I love, not just because I have a job, but because I actually love the show. I actually love the people that I work with and I was missing it so much. And I think that's something that people can relate to. What do you do when you're faced with a situation that you can't control. How do you find any control in it? And my friend, John Westcott had this great saying he used to say to me all the time when I was sad or depressed or mad or whatever. And he would say, move a muscle, change a thought. And I think I, that's my biggest takeaway with, from, from the experience that I had and from the book that I wrote is I just want to remind people that even in the moments when you feel like you have no choices and that there no good can come out of a situation to keep looking because there is something you do have control over your reaction to it and you have control over your personal self and what you do and and for parents out there that what you do is being seen by your children and i i felt it was imperative to give my kids an experience. I wanted them to have an adventure that we could look back on and cherish and laugh about and laugh about how bad we were at it or this moment or that moment. And, um, and it, it certainly was not always awesome, uh, but it was always funny and it happened. So, I've thought a lot about this for myself. I remember early on in March of 2020, I was still doing the lines of the show that I was yeah. in yeah. for a while because we didn't know. I was like, okay. And as time went on, I was like, okay, I still know my opening. I enter and I say this, and then I grab the thing and I walk over to the table and Margaret called, like I'm, I'm yeah. doing it. And yeah. then at a certain point, I was like, okay, where I got to let this go. I, yeah. I don't need to run these lines anymore yeah. Yeah. Um, or review my blocking because whatever happens, it this 
is no longer attached to what that experience is going to be. Like we yeah. will be starting anew to a certain degree if it happens. Right. So yeah. at some point you stop doing your come from away, you know, vocal warm up each night in the shower, right? Like you're, yeah. you, you gotta yeah. let it go and just live yeah. whatever the life is. Um, when it was time to come back, when you finally, you know, two years in, for those of us who are passionate about Broadway or live in the Broadway space, you're hearing each day, like what's coming back and what date it's coming back. So at some point you get a call, it's coming back. Right. And first of all, Jen Todd, uh, uh, who's a dear friend of mine, produced with Tommy Kale, your, your film version of ah, the show. Yeah. Um, so she was in town and she came on the podcast when you guys were filming it. So, the, so I, I knew, and then everybody knew that yeah. you guys were going to film it. And that happened first. Right. Yeah. So, so like, how long ago did you know that that was going to happen before it happened? Well, I have to say my favorite chapter in the book is one of the last chapters and it's called um, A Miracle on 34th Street. And it really <laughs> talks exactly about the moment that I found out. But it was January 27th, I believe, 2021. And I found out there had been very light rumors and I mean, light rumors mm -hmm. that felt like a fantasy, like we're going to film it. And um, I was in the underwear section of Macy's at Herald Square. And I got an email that said confirming the rumors. And I just thought, and it was from Sue Frost, Junkyard Dogs. And I just thought I didn't even... I didn't even want to open it. I couldn't even allow myself the hope. And I opened it and it was like, we're filming it. <laughs> and it just, I don't know. Well, it gave me this reaction. I sat down, I just cried. It was so unbelievable that we were going to do it. I couldn't, I, I could not believe the gift of it. I just couldn't, I kind of couldn't handle how fortunate I felt and in the moment to just think like, oh my God, I wish my mother was alive that I could call, right? Um, but at the same time, I thought I've eaten a lot of bread. <laughs> All right, look, it's not Moulin Rouge, you're okay. I know, but I just thought, I, I you know what I mean? I, I was know. like, oh my God. Oh yeah, and oh so, yeah, you oh know, it's happening. I know, careful that's right. what we it, wish Because for. it's a dual thought, right? There's like, on the one hand, you're like, I love the story of this. And then there's the reality of, do I remember it? How much rehearsal are we going to have? And so, you know, you wear both of those hats at the yeah. same time. Yeah. And so, and also I didn't know who else had received offers to do right. the movie. And right. so that was tricky too, because I thought, I don't know who to tell. So I think everybody was sort of tender stepping. Is this going to be original Broadway cast? Is this, who's this going to be? Right. Exactly? Is it a compilation tape of yeah. 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 So that was sort of fun too, over the next couple of days, sort of the rollout of who had been asked to do the film. And, um, and then that was, I think we started right around this time. It was like early April. And then we shot the first week of May and we were in a, a complete bubble. Like, you know, we couldn't, um, couldn't leave the hotel. We had food delivered to our rooms. Yeah. We were allowed out. We did all rehearsals in masks, totally masked up, testing every day. And then for shooting 
um, we did full run throughs in masks uh, right up to shooting. So but then they brought in a live audience. Then they brought at in some point. And That's I know right. that they shot with and without an audience, but yeah. but I cannot even imagine what that must have felt like after all that time yeah. to actually do it even for a moment uh, with a live audience. Yeah. And then now, and people can see it on YouTube, there's an opening night speech when you guys come back, <clears throat> excuse me, on Broadway in earnest and yeah. sort of what what that is and and some of the real gander. What do you think, what are they, Gandarian? What do you call it if you're from Gander? I guess, um, I mean, Newfoundlanders or Ganderites, we call yeah. them Ganderites. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, welcome to the rock, right? Like it, yeah. it's just so moving. How lucky are we that Come From Away uh, isn't just on Broadway, it's all over the world, this unique gift of a show. And for people lucky enough to, to have cable or whatever streaming service. And if not, there's someone with an Apple TV password that will be kind enough to lend right. it to you. Sorry, That's Apple right. TV, even if yeah. you don't have your own account. Anyone who knows anyone in college, they yeah. all have passwords that they're sharing. That's um, right. Sharon, before I let you go, is there a little known fact about you that you can share? Oh gosh, I didn't think about that. Uh, is there a little known fact about me that I could share? Yes, I, I, <laughs> this is so silly, but um, <laughs> one of the ways that I get through two show Wednesdays, which is sort of notoriously for whatever reason, they're in the middle of the week and the audiences are sometimes a little quieter or whatever. And, and it's a long day and our shows are very close together. Um, the stage right prop guy, Steve McDonald, and I have this ongoing thing between us because I love the television show Survivor. I love it. I love it with passion. I love the social. I don't care so much about like all of the, you know, eating bugs or the races and that stuff, but I love watching this community of people trying to navigate each other, the social experiment of it. I really love it. So Steve always, we have one little quick pass off where he hands me some beer bottles and he's like, do you have your DVR set? And I said, I do. And so that's my, that's my Wednesday passion is to With watch Steve. Survivor. With, With Steve. Steve. That's right. Steve McDonald. Okay. I love it. I haven't heard like the the acronym DVR in so long. I, I love it. Cute. I love it. I that you still... <laughs> it tells I you exactly it. who he is. That's right. It's everything about it's perfect. I love it. <laughs> um, everybody uh, buy the book, find a way to see come from away. Um, Sharon, I know there will be so many more things that come out of your brain and other <laughs> performances we'll get to see in the future. But for now, I just feel so fortunate that you are in come from away on Broadway with this unbelievably beautiful cast. And, and I know you do book signings when you can all over the place. Ta just repeat the website. If people want to know like how to find all the magical things you do, how do they find you? It's, it's my name. So it's, it's SharonWheatley.com. And if you go there, there's all sorts of information. If you're in New York, there are signed copies of my book at the Drama Bookshop, just if you want to shop local and you're in town. And we've been so fortunate, it keeps selling out there. And then I just run down between shows and I sign more. And it makes me, it makes my heart happy to know that that money is going there. Um, and, and then other than that, it's, you know, it's everywhere books are sold and um, 
Yeah. I love that your everywhere books are sold. I, I love it. Somebody told me that's what I'm supposed to say. It's everywhere I, books are sold. I mean, it sounds so obnoxious. And the truth of the matter is if you walked into your local Barnes and Noble, would they carry this book? Probably not. You'd probably uh, have to order it. Wait a minute. I'm not finished after this episode. <laughs> yeah, well, um, all right. I'm going to yeah. let you go because it's not a two show day, but it is a show day. It and is. thank you for your time and all of the beautiful art you put into the world. And I can't wait to see you in person really soon. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. One more thing. So many of you have asked, how do you donate to the podcast? Well, it could not be easier. Just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com slash donations. Instructions are clearly laid out. And I'm so grateful to you in advance for any donation you choose to make. But regardless, I have loved, loved, loved making the previous 200 and something episodes for you. I can't wait to make 200 more. I wish you a beautiful day. Stay healthy. Be safe. Until next time. This episode of Little Known Facts was edited by Nicholas Klar. We record in New York City. The Little Known Facts theme song was written and recorded and sung by Georgia Famusa with backup vocals by Caleb Famusa. Thank you. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.